Well, how many of you think it's cold today? How many of you think it's cold? Even, Heather, you think it's cold? You're from Washington. You think it's cold? Come on, Heather. Got some people from Washington, right? You think it's cold? They think it's a spring day. But I tell you what, it is cold. In fact, it's so cold that the lawyers in Corpus Christi, they have their hands in their own pockets today. Sorry, Miles. No offense. I, I thought that was I thought that was pretty funny. I was, I was a little worried about offending you, Miles. But you're okay with that, right? <laughs> okay, okay. So it's been said that it's impossible to whistle a tune while pondering your own death. How many of you think that's true? Yes. Amen. All right. We're not going to whistle, but we're going to talk about the ultimate comeback, coming back from the uh, grave and coming back from being dead, if you will. I do a lot of funerals and I love to walk through cemeteries and see what people have written. One of the, the funniest things I've ever seen on a tombstone was, <laughs> I think it's good to have a sense of humor. Uh, the, the person had written on the tombstone, I told you I was sick. I thought that was funny, you know. So. But there's a lot of tombstones and a lot of epitaphs that are online and across the internet. And I think it's Good to find humor even in cemeteries. I'm going to just share some of the best ones I've seen. Are you ready? Are you ready to have a little fun here? Yes? Come on, church. Are you ready? Yes? Oh, we're so cold. All right, here we go. This one's funny, I think. Uh, Harry Ethel Smith of Albany, New York, died in 1942, looked up the elevator shaft to see if the car was on the way down. It was. Here's one from an English cemetery, Anna Wallace. The children of Israel wanted bread, and the Lord sent them manna. Clark Wallace wanted a wife, and the devil sent him Anna. Rocky there. In a New Mexico cemetery, here lies Johnny Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. That's a groaner, right? That's a groaner. In Uniontown, Pennsylvania, here lies the potty of Jonathan Blake. Stepped on the gas instead of the brake. Yeah. And some of you can relate to that. In Silver City, Nevada Cemetery, here lays the kid. We planted him raw. He was quick on the trigger, but slow on the draw. Yeah. In a cemetery in Hartscombe, England, on the 22nd of June, Jonathan Fiddle went out of tune. That's pretty funny. It's a tough crowd here today. Tough crowd, Trent. Tough crowd. Another English cemetery, we find this one. Remember, man, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so shall you be. Remember this and follow me. To which someone replied by writing on the tombstone, to follow you, I'll not consent until I know which way you went. Smart person right there. All this reminded me actually of you. Remember the last time the government was, you know, doing the census and, you know, you sending your census forms and you got to fill it out and you got to do all this stuff. I remember driving up to Bryan College Station to see Renee's family and they had a billboard uh, and the billboard said, stand up and be counted for the census of 2010, right? And I thought it was really funny because in really small print underneath it, it said, this sign is sponsored by the Rosewood Cemetery. People don't stand up in cemeteries. Huh? I got to explain these jokes to you or something? All right, so anyhow... Okay, so there was, was a really cool true story that I actually found in the Victoria Times Colonist newspaper 
Uh, Dan Squires was a guy who lived in Toronto. He, he died, and he was a welder, and he was working on the Toronto, Toronto GO train. I don't know, Elizabeth, are you familiar with that? She's from Canada. Yeah, she's familiar with the GO train. So he was working on the Toronto GO train, and unfortunately, he got hit by the train, and he, he died. And so his sister had to go down and identify his mangled body, and the family had gathered for the funeral. They had a nice service. They went to the graveside, they buried the body, and then the whole family went back to the church fellowship hall to have potato salad and talk about him a little bit like they will for you one day, okay? And that's what happened. So they were having the nice reception when in walks Dan Squires, the guy they had just buried. And the sister looked at her brother and said, what are you doing here? You're dead. We just buried you. He said, no, I'm not. I'm alive. The funeral director came over and said, who are you? He said, I'm Dan Squires. And the funeral director said, well, then who's in the coffin? He said, I don't know. How am I supposed to know? Then he met his wife, who also said, I thought you were dead. And she and his sister could not stop hugging him and loving on him. The headline in the story reads this way, dead man walks into his own funeral reception. Now, he walked into the reception, and after surviving his own death, he did what I think most of us would do, he saw all the alcohol that was there, and he said, is all this for me? We should just go ahead and drink it. And so they had a party like they'd never had before. It turned out that Mr. Squires, age 49, had been mistaken for another man who had been hit by the train, and they had wrongly identified his body, and so he had actually wandered off. He was a welder, and he had wandered off because his back hurt, so he quit early and didn't tell anyone he quit early that day. And now he faces the task of reapplying for his job after he'd been pronounced dead. Can you imagine the party they had when they found out he was alive? Don't you think that was a pretty good party? Yes? Okay, uh, I'm out. See you all later. Okay. It, I can imagine they would have partied, right? If you think someone in your family died and they showed up alive. Um, and I can imagine it would have been quite a party that the day Lazarus was raised from the grave uh, at Mary and Martha's house. The main difference was Lazarus was really dead and Dan Squires was not. And we're going to talk about Lazarus' resurrection today. You can find this story in John chapter 11. Jesus is showing up at a city called Bethany after a friend of his has died, Lazarus. And and Lazarus, as we know, was one of Jesus' close friends. And Jesus shows up not when Lazarus is in the ICU. Uh, he's not showing up when he breathes his last. Um, he's not showing up at the funeral. Jesus shows up after Lazarus is already dead. He's been buried. And most of the casseroles from the funeral reception have already been eaten. Okay, are we clear? In John eleven seventeen, if you don't have a Bible, we put the verses up on the screen. So when Jesus came, he found out that he'd already been in the tomb for how many days does it say, church? Four days. So a little background. Again, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha uh, were all good friends with Jesus. Jesus would stay in the home of Mary and Martha. They had meals together. So it was obvious that Lazarus uh, got ill. And Lazarus got ill when he was around Mary and Martha. And they sent word, the sisters sent word to Jesus while he was still ill. And they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, hey, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. 
So Jesus loved Martha and Lazarus and Mary, but he does not rush to aid when he hears Lazarus is sick. It actually says in the scripture that Jesus stayed where he was two more days and did not rush to where Lazarus was and help heal him. Now that one sentence would make a good sermon, right? Have you ever noticed that God's timetable is not our timetable? Yes, amen? Yes. How many times you prayed Jesus would come and heal you or heal someone or do something for you in your life or do something for someone in life and it seems like God is way off and God is distant and God is silent. So then Jesus says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now the disciples were opposed to this because Judea was a dangerous place for Jesus to go. But Jesus says, look, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm gonna go wake him up. So now this is the other side of faith, right? We will not forever feel forsaken, that God's timetable eventually will come around to us uh, and Christ will get to us and we will experience God in our life. Now, when Jesus shows up, of course, he had been in the tomb how many days, church? Four days. The fact that Lazarus was in the grave for four days is significant. And the reason the scripture tells us this is because in the Jewish culture and Jewish tradition, um, they believed that a person's soul hung out with the body for three days. But by the fourth day, that person was gone. So four days was a statement that Lazarus was really, 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 really dead, okay? So there's no life left in him, no chance for his circumstances to change. I saw this recently, it's just a sign of our government, you gotta love our government. It was a letter from Health and Human Services to a resident, this is a true story, in Greenville County, South Carolina. Here's what it says. Your food stamps will be stopped effectively March 2020 because we received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. You may reapply if your circumstances change. You know, death can change your circumstances. So now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and she met him, right? But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God's gonna give you. And Jesus said to her, well, your brother will rise again. Now, she takes this like when we say, well, you'll see your loved one again, right, when you die. That's, that's the way she takes this. She says, well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says to her, what does he say to her church? We have the words right there. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes me shall never die. And then he says to her, we just sang about it in the song Crete, do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, Lord, I told you, I believe that you're Christ, son of God, who's coming to the world. So after she had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary. And she said, the teacher's here, he's asking for you. So Mary gets up quickly and she goes to where Jesus is. And when those who had, the scripture tells us, when those who had been with Mary in her house comforting her and noticed how quickly she got up, they went out and followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to mourn. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, 
she absolutely just crumbles at his feet. She just falls at his feet. And she says the same thing as Martha. Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. And here this text really is a touching story. When Jesus saw her weeping and those who had clung along her with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? And they said, come and see. And then this wonderful verse, Jesus wept. Jesus cried. And I think this is very, very important because we don't have a God who's distant, who's far off, who's aloof. We have a God that when we cry, who cries with us. When we're, when we're heartbroken, Jesus is heartbroken, right? And this verse has saved so many people, right? Because, uh, you know, you know, if you grew up memorizing scripture, this was the one verse. Can you, do you have any scripture memorized? And what did you say? Jesus wept, right? That was, that was a short verse. But it's also one of the most powerful because Jesus wept real tears. He was a human being, fully God, but fully man, right? And cried real tears. So to know that Jesus cares, he enters our pain and suffering. To me, that's very important, is it not? Hello? It is to me. So Jesus loved Lazarus, his friend, and Mary and Martha, so he's moved. So here's what the scripture says. Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, right? Jesus is upset, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. So we move from a short verse in the Bible to a rather funny one, a roll away the stone verse. The King James, if you look this story up in the King James, I love the King James version of this because literally it says, Lord, he stinketh. Just try that this week, you know. So, Lord, he stinketh, yes. Sometimes in order to have a resurrection, you got to deal with stinky circumstances, amen? Speaking of, of odor, I've got a groaner here. We haven't had a groaner in a while, right? So, are you ready for a groaner? This is for the cops here. You want to hear a bad joke? Anyone? What do you get when you cross a policeman and a skunk? Law and odor. That is so bad. That's, that's, but the one cop in the room's laughing right now. That's all I'm going to say. So. Anyway, so Jesus says, roll away the stone. Now, what we, and, and the scripture says, well, he stinks. Resurrections do not happen when everything is sterile, when everything's clean and smelling like Febreze. Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come on out. And it says... The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus says to him, that the community around him, Jesus says to all the people who are weeping, he says, what words are there? They're on the screen there. What are, what are the words? He says, unbind him and let him go. I love these words. Unbind him and let him go. Because here's our role as Christians to help people who are bound up. To help people who are dead in their ways. There are some folks who want to be born again, but they're still tangled up 
and their burial clothes. It's hard to live in the present when you keep tripping on the past. There are people that keep tripping on the past. And what do people do when we see someone bound up? Because I often say that the church is not a haven for saints. It is what is a hospital for sinners. So how do we act when someone walks in the door and they still have burial clothes on? What do we do? Oh my gosh. Seen Dave? He is wrapped up in the past. He won't let, he's wrapped up. Or this, this is what we do. Have you, have you seen Trent? Trent, he, he drinks a lot. I mean, Friday, Saturday, Saturday nights, he's, I still smell alcohol. I think he drinks vodka on Sunday morning, so we can't smell it. I'm being a little bit funny, but the reality is, is we do this, right? We view people and we're like, oh, I don't want to get too close because, Lord, he stinketh. And I don't want to get wrapped up in your mess because it's messy, you have problems that are obvious. And so what do we do as a church? I don't want to get, I don't want to get involved in that. You don't want to get involved in that. No, don't get involved with that. Have the pastor talk to him. He can do it. I can't tell you how many, um, mostly women, uh, but some men, I've counseled through uh, when they've been going through a divorce. And they come to me for counseling. You know what counseling is? Counseling is unbinding people. Because people come in with grave clothes on. That's the truth. And so sometimes people will come in and they'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going through this divorce, and, and particularly women, and in an abusive marriage, uh, the men will go after uh, what they, they hope as a way of trying to hold on to the woman, even though it's a sick, twisted way of doing this, they'll say things like this. Well, no one will love you like I did. Or you're going to be financially destitute. You divorce me, you're going to be poor. You're going to be all by yourself. And what is, what is he trying to do? He's trying to wrap her up in burial clothes. and Bind her and keep her that way. You understand what I'm saying, church? You know, the only difference between a rut and the grave are dimensions. So many people are still bound up. Some people get bound up in greed, low self-esteem. No one will ever love me. No one will ever value me. I'm not a child of God. If I walked in, the church walls will come tumbling down because God's angry with me. There's a lot of people bound up in this stuff. Judgmentalism, resentments, grudges, addictions, pride, hate, racism, anger, bound up in old bondages, old sin. And sometimes we're unable to free ourselves from our past and we need help from others. Hello? And this is the purpose of the church, to unbind others, to unbind others as Jesus has unbound us. What's one of the reasons we, we teach Financial Peace University here? Because people get bound up in debt and they're dead. Also, why do we teach forgiveness? 
Because when we refuse to let someone go, when we refuse to give, when we refuse to see new life, it is we who are keeping them wrapped up in the grave clothes of the past. Hello? I'm sorry, I'm preaching better than you're receiving today. I'm just saying it right now. So Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's the first resurrection. The second resurrection is one that you know about. It is when who came out of the grave, church? It starts with a J, ends with an S, and has an E and another S and a U. What's that name? Jesus. The second resurrection is where Jesus dies for us and God raises him from the dead. So what about the resurrection of Jesus? Why did Jesus go into the grave? Because how long was Jesus in the grave? Three days. So his soul was still there, according to the tradition of Jews. Why not just have Jesus die on the cross and come right back to life? Well, here's my whole sermon in a sentence. You ready? You ready? Jesus went into the grave to get you out. Say it again, because I don't think you heard me. Jesus went into the grave to get you out. And there's a lot of graves that people go into, and they're still alive. And that was the only way you're coming out. That's the only way I'm coming out, is that Jesus went in. And here's the great thing about Jesus' death was voluntary. Voluntary. What do I mean by that? Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus chose to die. It wasn't nails that held Jesus on the cross. It was actually love for you and me that held Jesus on the cross. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, the reason I'm tying these two together, Lazarus' resurrection and Jesus' resurrection, is because they're actually connected Jesus knew when he raised Lazarus from the dead, that was going to speed up his time heading to the cross. Because the authorities were like, well, he's doing some nice miracles, but now once he's raising people from the dead, we've got a real problem. And it was a great thing that he called Lazarus out. But Lazarus had to die again. And I guarantee you the person that was most upset about coming out of the grave was Lazarus. Because, you know, he's like up in heaven. He's on like day four. He's up there. He's getting settled into his room. And all of a sudden, what? what's going on? I got to go back to my arthritic body? What? He's totally bummed. And this was the most public instance. There was a lot of people around when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And it led to his demise. We see this in the Gospel of John, 11.53. From this moment on, the moment after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they, his enemies, plotted to put him to death. Because if you're a religious authority and you're trying to have church and you've got another pastor in town that's raising people from the dead, who, who's going to have more people in church? Hello? I don't care how good your jokes are, you know, you people are like, he's calling out the dead. We've got to stop him. And I, just a little side note, Jesus intentionally stood in front of Lazarus' grave and said, come forth. And Augustine wrote about this, the church historian, 
And he said the reason he said Lazarus come out is because if Jesus had said just come forth, every dead person in the graveyard would have got up and started walking around. And I, I don't, I, I don't know, that's pretty cool that Augustine talked about that. I don't, I think that's pretty cool. So Jesus tells Lazarus, come forth, knowing it would lead to a series of events that would cause him to be on the cross even quicker. And he chose to do it. It was voluntarily. Secondly, Jesus' death was also vicarious. Someone say vicarious. Vicarious. Jesus' death was vicarious. Now, vicarious means it's done for someone else or done through someone else. Now, a lot of parents live vicariously through their kids. And that can be really sweet and nice and endearing, but it also can be really unhealthy, right? I've seen this dynamic. Well, you got to go to Yale, Billy. Why? Well, because your dad and, and the guy before him and your grandfather went to Yale and every man in the family goes to Yale, Billy. So you got to go to Yale, Billy. And Sally, you got to do gymnastics. Well, I want to play basketball. Shut up and do the pole vault, Sally. You're going to be in gymnastics. You're going to be a great gymnast just like me. And this really isn't my sermon, but the longer I'm a parent, I really think the job of a parent is like the job of an archaeologist. We're to unearth what God has put in our children, not change what's coming out of them. Hello? Is this microphone working? I'm using this handheld. Is it working, Orlando? So Jesus' death was vicarious. And what does that mean? Well, God treated Jesus like we deserve to be treated. So he could treat us like Jesus deserved to be treated. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, he just sees the righteousness of Jesus. When God looks at you, it's always through the lens of Jesus, like he puts on the Jesus glasses, okay? Well, I don't know. I, I, I haven't been to church in a while. Haven't read my Bible in a while. Haven't been really been a, a big good Christian. I haven't been really all that good. I don't think that God's going to like what he sees. And when God looks at you, he says, I don't know, you look a lot like Jesus to me. And when you fall, when you feel lousy, and you feel like you haven't been walking the right way, God says, I only see Jesus. I only see Jesus. That's the beauty of his death on the cross. Because as Christ hung there, he paid for your sins. He vicariously died for you that day. Died as though he were you that day. His death was vicarious, and that's not all. So it was voluntary, it was vicarious, and his death was also victorious because it wasn't final. He didn't stay dead. And after he was taken off the cross, he went in the grave, and on Easter Sunday he rose, and he's alive. And he can offer resurrection life to you. And that's the crown jewel of Christianity, right? But that's not even deep enough. That's not even deep enough to say that. That's Christian faith. That's the totality of Christian faith, meaning we're not just following Jesus because he said some nice things and he did some cool miracles. There is this movement alive in America right now to reshape Jesus into this guy who's like just a vegan eating guy from Seattle. And he said nice things, and he's almost like Mr. Rogers, but with a beard. 
some of you young people that, you know, online, that just Google who Mr. Rogers was. Who's that? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. But we have, we have really Norman Rockwell Jesus down. And, and we have made Jesus into something he wasn't. Jesus was radical. Jesus went around saying things like, ridiculous things like, I'm God. And if you believe in me, even after you're dead, you can have life again. And people were like, that's a ridiculous statement. And his brothers and sisters didn't even believe him when they were growing up. Because how do you react when your sibling says, I'm God? Right. Make your bed. Now, if Jesus is able to deliver on this promise, then he is who he is. But if he's not, he's a whack job. Five hundred eyewitnesses saw Jesus, and they had no incentive or reason to say they saw him after he was dead. And then, eventually, we followers of Jesus began to have a nickname that people threw on us, and that nickname was Christians. And the notion of Christians didn't come till much later, because we were initially called people of the way. Why? Because what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it was an insult to be called a Christian. People were trying to, so hard to follow the way that they were getting made fun of. Have you ever been made fun of for being a Christian? We'll go around telling people you're a pastor. You will. I was on an airplane one time. And uh, it was one of the old flights for Southwest where you sit backwards and some people sit forward and there's like six people and everybody's having drinks and they're telling these raunchy jokes and they're just having a great time and everyone's drinking and everything. And then we get to the part of the airplane ride and it always happens where everybody goes, well, what do you do for a living? So there's like a realtor and a doctor and a lawyer and, and then they, and I'm all the way at the end and you know, they're saying their jokes and stuff, really raunchy jokes. And then they get to me, and I'm like, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh. And they all put their drinks down. I have an orange juice, not a screwdriver. I'm so sorry about that joke, pastor. We're so sorry. I didn't mean that one. I'm not really racist. And the other guy, I'm not really a pervert. So sorry, Pastor. And then everybody just shuts up. Say anything to offend the Pastor. I'm like, y'all can go back to telling jokes. I was kind of having a good time. I mean, three hours of silence. So now I just tell people, I'm a writer. I write and I speak for a living. Oh, really? Who for? Big company. Good Lord and company. If you get made fun of following, for following Jesus, don't worry about it. Think about how Jesus got treated. Like he got crucified, so you're going to get a little flack. 
It's okay. And of course, people are going to say all men are of evil about you, and that's okay. You can't let that develop into a bitter or wounded spirit. We have to have a, a tender heart, but some thick skin to where we can handle it, and we love people anyway. Turn the other cheek and love them anyway. If we're following the way, we've got to be people the way. And then people began calling Christians, you're just a bunch of little Jesuses running around. And the believers are like, that's the nicest thing anyone ever said. That's what Christian means, little Jesus. Yeah, we're Christians, and we're proud to be followers of the one of Jesus from Nazarene, who was crucified but rose from the dead. And so, and here's the point, though. If Jesus is not really alive, this is just for nothing. Paul said, look, if Christ isn't risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. And J. Vernon McGee, I don't know if you ever read him, but he's a Bible commentator. He's in heaven, but I love his through the Bible commentaries. He wrote these words. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the very heart blood of the Christian faith. We cannot make too much of the death of cross of Christ, but we can make too little of the resurrection of Christ. So without it, we don't have power. The resurrection is the power of our faith. And he went to the grave to get us out of the grave. He went to the grave to get us out of the grave. But don't miss it. Are you still awake? Say amen. Because this is the most important part of the sermon. And this is what we miss as Christians. And this is what we are lacking. The resurrection is not just meant to affect your eternity, but also your journey. Hello? I'm throwing out some good stuff right now and y'all are not receiving it. It's not just supposed to affect your eternity when you die, but your journey right now. The resurrection is not just meant to be something for, okay, I'll file that away for when I die. I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm good. Because let's face it, some people go to church and if they're honest, you know, they're just like, I'm just hedging their bets, right? Right? I mean, look, I grew up with a father and my dad said this all the time. There's a 60% chance God exists. So we're going to church today. Plus your mother plays the organ. So we're going to church today. That was our daily speech. Sunday morning. But to only think of the resurrection as, okay, that's what happens when you die, and only think of your relationship with God in terms of life after death is to miss out on some of the best parts of what Jesus came to offer, and that is life during life. In fact, it's this very thing, this pushing off you know, until eternity comes that caused Jesus to give us this I am statement. Because Martha, you will remember when Jesus said, hey, your brother's going to rise again. She goes, I know, I know. He'll rise again one day. I mean, translation, I know heaven's a better place. He's in a better place. People say that all the time. I know that heaven stuff, that's great for then. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't get it. Jesus says, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. Present tense. This isn't Mr. Rogers. This is radical stuff. Someone's going around saying, he's the resurrection and life. What? what? 
present tense. The resurrection isn't just for an event for one day. It's a reality to change your today. You know, the purpose of being saved is not so you, you get saved and then you sit in church chairs waiting to go to heaven like a bunch of buzzards on a roost. But your job isn't it to show up here today and go, well, how do you think the sermon went today? Well, Trent, what do you think? How's it going? I don't know. Let's talk about it on the way home. Then my job is to evaluate the pastor's sermon. Well, good luck with that. That's not my job. My job is to say, hey, there's this man who can give you life today. Resurrection life. So the resurrection means more than a ticket to heaven. It means heaven up there can come down here. Thy kingdom come, thy will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. How? Well, Jesus can resurrect your relationships because I've seen people get bound up in the grave clothes of resentments and grudges and they can't get free. And then they start reading about what Jesus says about forgiveness and then they start praying and then they start forgiving and then they start having that relationship again with that person because relationships don't always die. Sometimes they go dormant. But I'm friends with people today that I never thought I'd be friends with if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus. Hello? I want you to know Jesus can resurrect your joy and enthusiasm for living. You may not be happy in terms of where you're at in finances or job or our lives as a whole, but Jesus said, I can help restore your lost enthusiasm. And what Jesus basically said is, here's your ticket to heaven. You're going to eternal life. You're going to a place that I prepared for you. So don't worry about what you eat or what you drink or what you're going to wear. Don't worry about that stuff. Worry about making God's kingdom come because the rest is gravy. Your job here is to make God's kingdom come. God's will being done. That's what you're here for. You're going to heaven. Don't worry about that. You ever DVR a football game and, and then you find out that your team loses? Do you watch that DVR? No, you go home and you hit delete. Are you sure you want to delete the recording? Yes. But if your team wins and you know they win, what do you do? You watch it three times. Just speaking for me as a Steelers fan. And in the middle of the game when things look bad, but you know your team wins, what do you do? You're like, you're not panicked. Because you know your team wins in the end. This is what Jesus says. You're going to win in the end. You're going to be with God, and, and you always will feel love, and God will never be away from you. So don't be an Eeyore Christian. You know Eeyore Christians. Oh, come on. I know there's none here in this church, but I've served churches where they have. Oh, I only won $100 million in the lottery. I want you to know Jesus' resurrection can make you excited about paying your bills. Huh? Yeah. Because I saw the resurrection. I went to a, I found this out. Um, going to AA meetings. Now, I don't struggle with alcohol or drugs. I have other struggles. But I have found help in 12-step groups because 12-step groups are based on the Bible. And I had a friend of mine that was 
got a DUI, two of them, was getting blackout drunk. So he began going to meetings, and I said, I'll go with you. He's now a sober and committed Christian. And he told me he was living a resurrected life. And he knew he was living a resurrected life because one day he went to his mailbox and he got a stack of bills and he was happy. How many of you are happy when you go to your mailbox and you go, oh, another bill? He was happy he got bills because at one time he wasn't responsible enough to have a job even get bills. So when he got a stack of bills, he's like, these companies think I'm going to work and be able to pay for this. And now that I'm sober, I'm doing that. And it was like a badge of honor. His old self, his alcoholic self, he was no longer bound up in that because in those 12-step groups, they understood their job was to unbind him. That's the purpose of the church. It's not to go, oh my gosh, you stink. You, you got some problems. I'm not sure you're welcome here. I'll call the pastor. See, our job as Christians, if we have Jesus, is to say, here's Jesus. He can help unbind you. Hello? <laughs> okay, I'm almost done. If you're in relationship with Jesus... Resurrection is constantly what he's doing. He doesn't just want to resurrect your eternity, but also your journey. He wants to resurrect your relationship. Dead things that have died because of shame and condemnation. He wants the potential for you to blossom again. He wants every day of your life to have sort of these bursts of resurrection. And everything he touches springs to life. So Easter is not a once a year holiday. It's a whole new energizing dynamic reality that every time you need a new resurrection, it's only a prayer away. If I didn't believe Jesus was raised from the dead, I would never be a pastor. I would never be that because I believe Jesus can bring life to anything he wants to bring life to, including this church, including you and me, including dead marriages, including anything. I'll close with this. There's an ancient Eastern proverb that says, those who drink the water must remember who dug the well. In every area of our lives, our lives have been made lighter through the efforts of others, especially Jesus. If you just take a look around, we, we sit in a building today and worship in a building that is paid for. And, and some of you um, didn't pay for it. Some of you did. And we sit on land we have close to six acres here of land, and that, uh, did y'all pay for it? I didn't. I'm the beneficiary of it. We, we, we bought the land here for a dollar because the person wanted their, that was selling it to the group of people called Grace Presbyterian wanted a church to be here, and they said, I'll sell it to you for a dollar. If, do you know how much this land is worth according to the city? You know, the city would love to tax us. Notice your property taxes going up every year. I have. Painfully so. And even when I go down there and argue, they go, well, this one sold for this much. Sorry, sir. So this land's valued at like $3 million. I don't know if you're good with economics, but if you can take a dollar and turn it into $3 million, that's pretty good.
If I give you a dollar and you give me three million 20 years from now, that's a resurrection. Hello? So there are other people who dug the well that we drink from today. And everything you see is a call for gratitude. The house you live in, the clothes you wear, your table, your bed, your chair, the church you worship in. Someone dug the well, so to speak, to make this space available. And there were those who taught you in Sunday school. And there were those who told you about Jesus, who taught you about vacation Bible school and youth camps and retreats, who prayed for you and encouraged you. And man, when I look at my mom, she dug the well all the time. She showed me Jesus all the time. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. And I would say to her, that's just for something when you die, mom. She goes, no, 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 no. It's for right now. She was teaching me the resurrection. And our job is to remember the way we pay those people back who dug the well that we drink out of is we continue to serve from this well to the next generation. And so it's a simple step to ask yourself throughout the day, who besides me will benefit from what I'm doing right now? See, if I can't, I can't keep Jesus in my heart if I don't keep giving him away. And that's the ironic thing. Love isn't love till you give it away. And you can't keep Jesus in your heart if you don't keep giving him away. And people will see the resurrection in your life or they won't. So let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.